everybody. Welcome to another Bald Movies. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today we are back to talk about a 1992 film directed by Michael Mann, a epic action historical romance drama. Uh, Last of the Mohicans, it's set in the 1750s during the French and Indian Wars here in the American colonies. Uh, it was written by Michael Mann and Christopher Crowe based on a historical novel of the same name written by James Finnamore Cooper. Uh, Michael Mann, of course, is the person responsible for the amazing heist film Heat, which we previously reviewed, uh, as well as the movie Collateral, Public Enemies, and the TV show and movie Miami Vice. Uh, Jim, this is your first. Uh, this is this is my probably third time watching this film, and this is kind of a historically important film for me personally. It was the first rated R movie I'd ever seen in a theater. I think I was 15 at the time. Uh, a 17-year-old witness co-conspirator helped me sneak out to watch it. And also, I first movie I saw with a girl, a uh, worldly girl from high school. Uh, so I have, I have fond memories of this film. Um, I thought it was really, really good on, on third, I guess, watch with 20 years distance between it. Uh, what do you think? Eh. Eh, I don't know if this movie is for me. Uh, of the things you listed, epic, uh, period, romance, drama, action, film, I think I like two of those. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's not... Uh, so I like period films. Uh, this is maybe that, but... not like a super interesting period to me personally. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's not a lot. And it's it was something about like the whole just tone of this movie it feels maybe a little too grown up for me in some kind of way like you know it's it it, there's nothing there's just nothing for me here like it's a romance i'm not interested in in watching daniel day lewis and and madeline stowe uh bone down that's not fun for me uh awkward boning like i felt like they didn't really know how Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought like, I see fine. They're, going, they're going for passionate, but it came across as like people who don't know how sex works. Like we're going to yeah. sit fully clothed on each other's laps and press collarbones into each other. To be fair, she probably doesn't uh, at that time True. in her uh, stature, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but like that's the thing. British drama with wartime shit that I like, I know nothing about. A, I'll, I'll you know, me a culpa on that because. I know absolutely nothing about this era in history, um, d- you know, despite it taking place within my own country um, just huh. 200 years ago, which, you know, is modern history by a lot of country standards. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. For, you know, the, the French Indian War is not something I've really looked into or ever even considered looking into. Maybe I should, but this is not going to be the movie that gets me to go research it a whole bunch. Yeah, um, yeah, I actually kind of somewhat surprised that you didn't like the film because I, I thought that you were at least not antagonistic to period pieces. Um, no, I'm not. It's it's some combination of like watching the English do military shit and this being a period piece is like just boring to me. See, I thought um, so. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I, I want to dig into there, but like I, one of the things I really liked about this movie is I felt like it visually explains why the British got their ass kicked off the continent. Hmm. You know, uh, this is just a story I've always been told in junior high and high school and apologies to the Brits out there who are still seething over this 243 year old conflict. Uh, But like, it's yeah, like 
when you looked at the um, post fort ass kicking raid uh, that the Indians portray, uh, the, um, did over on the British, like it just seems so self evident. Like you've got this brightly colored giant banner waving column mm. of dudes beating drums and playing flutes versus dudes wearing camouflage. Uh, moving through the cover of this dense, dense North American forest and picking the the exact terms of their engagement uh, and, and firing from cover, it just seems like my God, why, why didn't they? And I, and I, I hear that like that's the other thing is like you know as you as you learn more about history, you'll learn the shit you learn in schools largely like simplified or wrong that there were like commando units that the that you know like uh, the, it's not. Like, the British people had no idea how to conduct warfare. They fucking took over the whole globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, still the bright red uniforms versus the the dudes in camo knowing the lay of the land. Um, and this is also, I just thought there's like really every time I see uh, historically accurate battles, I just think of how like fucking savage it all is. Um, yeah. You know, the forts like exploding and the splinters hitting people and just like the sheer terror of like, you know, you're walking on the sunny day and you're, you're like, you, you just escaped with your lives, you know, like you thought the next, the morning before that you were going to die because of your British commander's honor demands that he fights to the last man. Now you're marching on a fair sunny day. Maybe you're going to see your sweetheart. And then you start hearing these war cries coming from all around you. Where are they? You're, you're getting picked off from the forest. I like that kind of like a really, you know, even it's probably heightened Hollywood reality bullshit. It felt like I, I could kind of walk in those people's shoes and feel like what it was like to be back then when, you know, this entire continent was so much more mysterious and peopled by these, uh, you know, peoples that were hostile sometimes, sometimes allies. How do you tell the difference? It's, I, I thought that stuff was fascinating. Um, I, got, I got a question for you. Yeah. How, what's your interest level in going uh, and viewing some kind of colonial era war reenactment? Because that's what this movie feels like to me. Mm. I mean, and I, I have like zero interest in that. No, I do. T- I, yeah. Cause I don't want to stand outside in a hot, you know, humid, uh, fucking, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, up, upstate New York field with a, you know, yeah, no, I don't want to do that, but like yeah. lavishly scaled period accurate, I guess that, cause I did a lot of research and I, they really sweated the mm. details. Now sweating the details in 1992 is different than it would be in 2020. Like I thought it was interesting yeah. that, the um, shit, what is the, the, the guy that played the, uh, the Indian chief, uh, or not West duty. Um, no, anyway, the guy that played the Chin Chingachuk, uh, he mentioned that because he's a famous uh, uh, Indian actor and um, Russell Means, right? Yeah, yeah, Russell Means, kind of badass dude. Like uh, had a standoff on wounded knee uh, against the federal government in 1971. Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, but this guy said that like they just wanted us to talk Indian, so like we all spoke in our native language. Like West Study is, is talking <laughs> Cherokee, and I'm talking my native tribe, and I was I was delivering yeah. these lines to some Inuit that spoke like so we were just literally gibbering at each other. But it's like oh yeah, authentic Native American shit. Oh yeah. So like nowadays they would actually sweat the details. They'd have you know mm-hmm. an actual scholar that would you know but teach the people their lines and there'd be a lot more. But for 1992, like they, they clearly, you know, sweated the details on the artifacts and the, the costuming and stuff like that. 
I, I just I think that's that's really neat. And I think um, it being 1992 is another uh, mark against it, in my opinion. Like the film doesn't look that good. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's grainy, and then no matter how you're gonna restore it, it doesn't look amazing. A lot of it is shot in very dark settings as well, and so like the you know you can do a better transfer of it, and I'm sure they have, but like it didn't look that amazing yeah. to me. I read an interview with the cinematographer where, cause I, I said that too. I was like, man, this is verging on too dark. But then I was thinking like, you know, it's really fucking dark on a moonless night in the forest. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if people realize that, but like you get away from city lights and, and you get out into still in the Midwest, there's a lot of fairly virgin, you know, forest. It's dark as hell. And you go into like a cave under a waterfall in the middle of the night. It's going to be dark as hell. And I saw that the cinematographer used as little artificial lighting as possible because he wanted to give that kind of realistic feel of this gloomy forest and like how dark it would be um, and how easy it would be to like, you know, lose track of somebody. And um, so I, I think it was an intentional stylistic choice, but I, I guess I can, I can, I can see well, the darkness is not the problem. It just looks like 1992. Like, you know, films films look like the era that they're made in, and this looks like a 1992 film. Um, it's just it wasn't that impressive uh, from like a, a film stock, essentially. Like whoa, the film stock they're using, the cameras they're using are all like dated at this point. And, yeah, you know, I, I'm not opposed to that, but like with my ambivalence going in, just like, and I don't hate this movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I'm just like, meh. I I I have zero interest in ever watching this film again, and I'm. After you know seeing a few Daniel Dave Lewis films, I'm a huge Daniel Dave Lewis fan. I don't think this is his best work, but I don't think this is his best uh, character either. Um, mm. So like, I don't know. I, I was expecting, I guess, some some grand performance from him, and yeah. he is, I would say, a little bit better than passable here, huh. because the movie what? just doesn't demand much of him. Before we get into spoilers, I feel like that we can pivot because I want to talk about Daniel Day Lewis and his performance. Uh, maybe I can give us a little brief synopsis to bring people up to speed. If uh, you dimly recall this film, or if you haven't seen it and you, it sounds interesting, uh, so this takes place in 1757 in the American colonies during the French and Indian War. Uh, a British Army officer is tasked with escorting a colonel's daughters to one Fort William Henry, which is in modern day uh, upstate New York. Along the way, they're ambushed by Indians that are allied with the French. That's why it's called the French and Indian Wars, uh, because uh, France was at war for control and supremacy on North American continents, and the uh, Indians were kind of like played against each other and uh, for both uh, for both sides. Um, benefits, uh, but they were ambushed by uh, Indian forces on the way there, and only saved by three men, like these independent trappers. Uh, fur traders, uh, native chief, uh, his son, which collectively are the last of the Mohican tribe, um, and his adopted white son, Hawkeye, who's to play by Daniel Day-Lewis. These three help uh, or agree to help escort the daughters to safety. But unfortunately, no safety be found at Fort William Henry as it's quickly taken over by the French. Uh, our heroes, under the circumstances, fall for the two daughters and become embroiled in a blood feud between a Huron war chief named Magua and essentially the entire English army. Uh, a lot of shooting, stabbing, and running between long, lingering looks then ensue. Um, you <laughs> yeah. mentioned that this is not a great Daniel Day-Lewis performance. I disagree. I think he did exactly what he was needed to do. That's but what, Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is he did what he needed to do, but the movie didn't ask much of him. 
Yeah, like there's a couple points where I just thought like, you know, he's portraying as like cool, confident guy and like the way he holds uh, Korra's gaze, uh, the way like I, there's a couple points where uh, he he told that one general that major off like, you know, you and I are going to I feel like you and I are going to have a conflict or going to have a fight ahead. I, I really like those moments. But here's the thing. I found out that Michael Mann turned into the studio a three hour cut of this film. And the studio demanded that he cut this down to two hours, which he did. Now, you and I watched the director's final cut, which is about five minutes longer than the theatrical version. And I guess there's another like early director's cut that was on the first edition of the DVD that was like three minutes longer still. But I wonder what the fuck was on. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's missing. When I look at this film, it looks like there's a little bit of stuff that's incomplete. For example, uh, Uncas and his relationship with the younger Monroe daughter is entirely a sketch of like a couple of like shy, bashful glances. And if they had developed that to the extent that they had developed Danny Day Lewis and Cora, which itself was not a super well developed relationship. Mm. Um, I think they would have really had something. Could they have gone on and given, you know, Magua a few more scenes talking about his brutalization at the hands of the English. So you can really understand like, you know, why he has this, this, this vicious hatred of, of the English. Um, If there's a little bit more discussion amongst like, you know, the, like the French and Indian and the Indian English forces. So you could get, because they don't give you any kind of grounding or scope to understand why this battle's happening, who the sides are, what the stakes were. Um, And I feel like, yeah, like you take a third of the movie away, it's kind of amazing that it works as well as it does. But I really want to see that cut because I think that's where you find why you hire Daniel Day-Lewis to do stuff like this. Yeah, it could be. I I agree that uh, romance, the secondary romance in this movie is so shortcutted and so... uh, thin it, it it shouldn't even have been in like if you're going to cut most of that cut it all like the, yeah. the, i felt nothing when that girl jumped off other than this poor young woman jumping off I, to her death i didn't feel like oh she's lost you know the the only person who she's ever loved and like i felt none of that um it was more just the tragedy of a young person throwing themselves and off the, the but, flip side of that of uncas like you know desperately sprinting yeah. to save her and getting himself killed didn't land because again right these were bystanders in the plot as far as the movie is concerned and uh, like a distractor like it only served to uh give uh, the 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 old mohican chief like super good reason to kill magua and i i kind of felt yeah. like maybe in the for a full version because i also did a lot of research in the original novel to try to figure out what the missing pieces were and like if there was like also some bad blood between you know magua's war war chief or his war party and the uh, ching chingachuk the 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 last of the mohicans mm-hmm. i thought that would have been but like they i don't know like all the stuff with uncas and the the younger monroe daughter felt like it's just a little juice to give that extremely impressive last five minutes of the movie which my God, when the soundtrack kicks in and these guys are just sprinting. Um, I mean, maybe that's why you get Daniel Day-Lewis because this guy lived in like a cabin and homesteaded for like six months and trapped furs and whatnot just so he can sprint up and down these mountains and look convincing doing it. Yeah. I mean... It worked. Yeah, like all that shit where he was doing fancy knife work and tomahawk work and like reloading uh, a fucking flintlock musket 
as he's sprinting Tom Cruise fast on, on, on a, cool. a cliffside, like yeah, yeah on a forty-five degree granite face cliff. Uh-huh. It, like I just thought that shit was really cool, and yeah. um, all the action sequence, the initial ambush. The fort scene, you know, I'm a sucker for like nautical fiction. So like seeing these big cannons just blowing like and, and especially how monstrous they are in land, just blowing huge chunks out of this real fort that they built. It cost six yeah. million dollars to build this thing up uh, and, and down or actually down in North Carolina. Um, yeah, there, because, there's definitely some cool stuff in there. Um, the, yeah. Those cannons were very impressive. Uh, I was kind of digging that part. But yeah, I'm I'm I think the second half of this movie or maybe the last third of this movie is pretty good um, and actually had my attention, but the first half to two thirds of it was just kind of nothing to me. Yeah. there's a, But there again, I think that man, if you had another 15 minutes in that first half to like really introduce that settler folk yeah. in their cabin and like their relationship between the, the Mohicans and Hawkeye and et cetera, that that would have landed too, because like, you know, we barely get to know these people. They're kind of like, Oh, okay minor characters and then there's a point where they get butchered and that's supposed to be a big moment mm-hmm. but it doesn't really it, land it, to the point it doesn't land to the point where i wasn't even sure that that was their family it's the same people yeah i was about yeah. I, was, I was afraid you'd say that <laughs> yeah i mean i i got a single glimpse at this woman who they show lying on the ground uh before that and i i was like is this some other like is this another family and they're looking at the tragedy of like everyone being i really wasn't sure i wasn't sure who like was sending out the war parties was it the the native american chiefs and their tribes sending out war parties to burn the people out was it uh the french which i think that's right well i think that's one of the insidious parts that you're supposed to understand and they kind of lost in wars that like it was hard to tell because a lot of Indian tribes were allied and like were friendly with the English. A lot of them were allied with the French. A lot of them didn't like any of this shit that's happening to their land. Like, what the fuck is this white man doing? Like burning and slashing our forests and, you know, camping on our native burial grounds and fuck them all. So like, you know, it it felt like an infinite atrocity engine Mm. that like uh, the, whoever attacked you, you could brutally retaliate against whomever, and justify whatever body count you could, and that they just lost that kind of like vicious, inhuman part of the the French Indian Wars, um, and it's it's to its detriment. But I, I but my my real question is why did they choose to neuter Michael Mann's cut of this movie? Mm. Because so I, I was thinking like okay, well maybe like uh, we're still a year or two away because I get fuzzy of when stuff came out came out in the nineties. Like maybe we're still a year or two away from Dances with Wolves approved like a three and a half hour movie can fucking slay. And get all the Oscars and get five hundred million dollars uh, box office against a hundred million dollar budget. But no, Dances of Wolves came out in nineteen ninety. This comes out in ninety two. Why the hell did they demand this guy just pull out an hour of his movie? They had just seen that American audiences have an appetite for this kind of like historical period Western Native American uh, greater respect um, and empathy and uh, more nuanced view, more realistic view than we'd gotten with the John Wayne bullshit of years gone by. Why does the studio make this arbitrary? Now nah, you got to get in there two hours. We got to we got to really churn through the seats and the tickets, and the kids are going to get bored. This rated R super violent <laughs> historical drama. Uh, is it? possible that that three-hour cut is apocryphal that it doesn't actually exist 
Because if you're doing a definitive director's cut, why are yeah. you only adding three minutes back in? Uh, who Actually, I don't even know who did the definitive director's cut. I'm not sure if it was the director. Man. It yeah. was? Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, why wouldn't he have put that stuff back in if it actually existed? I don't... I, it, so that's a good point. Uh, but on the other hand, I guess the young... I can't remember her name, Jody something or other, the youngest uh, uh, Monroe daughter... I guess was really complaining because this was a pretty grueling shoot. Like when they were in, because I was there's a scene of they're they're fleeing the 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 Huron War Party in these canoes and they go over a sequence of um, waterfalls and I guess Michael Mann like uh, with rare exception insisted the actors not use stand in and stunt people. So like these can and these canoes like tipped all the fucking time. And I guess these women got cold and wet and miserable, and they spent a lot of time being cold and wet and miserable at night. And she, when she saw the final cut of the movie, she was outraged because I guess like literally a hundred percent, like ninety five percent of her role was on the cutting room floor. So like, there's a statement that like Michael Mann, like I, I, Michael Mann made an interview that he had turned in a three hour cut, and then there's an actress that said that she was kind of shocked and outraged that a lot of her material was cut off so like okay. i maybe it's overselling a bit but like even 20 30 more minutes of character development anything between uncas and that girl yeah. honestly would have made the movie a lot better and anything that would add a little bit of depth and shading to magua because i feel like they they stripped him away to the bare essentials to where uh he just seemed a lot more evil than i think is intended in the original material like you're supposed to understand that he's got a lot of good fucking reason to hate these guys and because it's so like cutting out someone's heart and eating it in front of them and swearing that they're you're going to kill their seed and burning their children alive because that's so fucking over the top like i felt like there needed to be some real heavy oh jeez well you know maybe i don't agree with his methods but i see how he got there yeah, they, they didn't have that. But I will say I thought Magua was a very effective villain. Uh, sure as hell is. He's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that just style of combat work where it's like, you know, you're breaking bones and it's blunt force trauma and it comes out of nowhere uh, does does seem um, pretty terrifying. Uh, I want to talk about some other, like another delightful piece of casting. You know, we love Jared Harris. <laughs> This is his third credited role nice. as some nameless uh, British lieutenant that's trying to whip the American colonists into some sense of uh, patriotism to a country that they're going to throw the yoke of tyranny off just 10 short years later. Yeah. Uh, almost didn't recognize him because he's so fucking young and fresh faced. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's Jerry Harris right up there on, the, on his literal high horse. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't have more to do in this film. Well, you know what? That three-hour cut, 45 <laughs> minutes, Jared Harris. Uh-huh. If sure. only they knew. If only they knew. Uh, a polar bearer with a human face chased him down, bit his ass. It was it was something else. We need, we need the uh, post-expanse cut of Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, that's the other thing. Cutting that so much out of, I'm assuming, the runtime of the film did a lot of, like, making the political, like, they did it's like I felt like they had to tack on the colonists saying something about tyranny and oppression because, you know, the film's aware enough. Like, well, this is French and Indian War. It's in, it's in early colonial America. But, like, yeah, 10 years from now, they're going to fight a war of revolution. So we need to kind of, like, lay the tracks for that a little bit. But, it like, it felt a little very much tacked on. Like, well, if we don't put this big speech in here, then American audience will be like, what the fuck? I thought the Brits were the bad guy, you know? Yeah, and, uh, and maybe that's a little bit more to 
uh, doing a little more to convey like the epic scale of this thing because like beyond a fort battle i'm trying to find the epic part of this film because the scale of the film is not that grand the the scale of the the setting in general is grand but like this is a very intimate story i think yeah you're right I think the you're right. The fort is a big epic uh, set piece, but I think immediately after that, that uh, where they attack the the retreating soldiers, the paroled soldiers. I'd like. I guess that my one. my calibration on epic is like just five... thrown off in 2020. You know, like in 1992, maybe this was epic. In 2020, this is a joke. Uh, we're trying to call this film an epic. Well, I mean, if you're comparing it to against like 1917, if you're comparing it against uh, what was that? Uh, right. it's, um, nolan movie uh dunkirk Uh but like 400 like authentic native americans squaring off against three 200 300 british soldiers and i thought that i mean that felt epic to me because i've i've rarely seen that kind of combat um played out with this kind of like level of attention to detail and skill and just like yeah but i've seen things like like battle of the bastards i've seen things like (laughs) avengers like it's that Lord of the Rings. It's really fucking hard to to get on my epic scale and to to yeah. peg that scale. So like this 1992 film with you know 50 extras at a time is not really cutting the mustard yeah. here. But that's the thing. I think that that's where like the knowledge of like all the stuff that you just mentioned is mostly CG and yeah. compositing. Where like uh, this is like one of the epic in the old Hollywood ways, where it's like you know Charles Charles <clears throat> Heston is in front of a thousand people in the desert, like fucking yeah. like those are actual people, all costumed, all moving around, hitting their marks. Like that's fucking epic. Like or Conan, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A similar yeah. scene. Yeah, when you see this, just like tons of, and those are real people. Like when they're just stretching out in this vast distance, that's like real fucking people. I think it's epic in, in that way. But I, I take your point. It's not, uh, you know, like my son Jack would not, he, 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 he would not sit down and watch this movie willingly. No, no, no. And that's why I never watched it because it came out when I was 10 years yeah. old. And, you know, from 10 to 25, I had zero interest in anything like this. Yeah. I'd still have very little interest, but. It's funny because, like, as a fifteen-year-old, I thought I did a damn fine job picking a date film because it is very romantic. Yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis is very dashing and handsome, um, and also like uh, the the daughter Cora was fairly fierce. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she gets to kill a dude. She's not helpless damsel in distress. Um, but there's you know lots of uh, Daniel Day Lewis when he's screaming, "I will find you!" before he throws himself off a waterfall, uh, Harrison Ford style. Like, uh, Cecily was watching me and she was getting, you know, hot in the bonnet for it. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to think like what I made because like all my memories of this film, like seeing in a theater are like, uh, also intermingled with like the, the awareness that I'm sitting and holding hands with a girl for the first time Sure, and she looks really pretty and she smells good. And you know, am I, what am I, should I put my arm around her now? Like, because like this film is very adult, like you said, yeah. I can't imagine that I really enjoyed other than the action scenes. And I also remember being horrified because you recall, I'm a horror pussy like Magua cutting that dude's heart out almost made me pass out. And I'm like, well, I can't do that in front of this girl. Wow. Wow. Uh, and that dude getting burned at the stake made me like physically, like, like queasy. Yeah. And it's still like, it's still a pretty effective scene, honestly, like, mm-hmm. you know, get burned alive. That's some rough fucking justice, man. Yeah. I kept waiting uh, for that moment where he says, you know, someday you and I are going to have a real uh, serious disagreement. I kept waiting for that to come back and I'm kind of glad it didn't like that felt. 
that felt right. The, the, they had like, a serious disagreement, but it was nothing like he was expecting. No, no, no. You're right. It was. It was the, the disagreement was who's going to sacrifice their life for Madeline Stowe's character. Yeah. Um. I really enjoy the soundtrack. Um. This. I think the soundtrack won, or at least was nominated for some Oscars. Uh. Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman. Trevor. Uh, did the soundtrack for Scalibur, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Mississippi Burning, uh, as well as this film. And uh, Randy Edelman worked on the movie Twins, Kinder- Kindergarten Cop, uh, Beethoven, Gettysburg, Dragonheart, Triple uh, wow. X. And you're going to love this, Jim. Oh, Jesus. Wrote the theme for the popular 80s television series, MacGyver. No shit. Okay. He yeah. redeemed himself. Yeah. Um but I, I, it's weird because I like the, I like the soundtrack. When I was listening to it yesterday, I was like, this is coming across way more Gaelic than like Native American or colonial period. Huh. Like it's very yeah. Scottish Islands, like Rob Roy, Braveheart. Uh huh. But I don't, I don't know. I, I dig, I dug it. And like I said, that it, that score to the final like five minute chase scene is just gets the blood pumping. Yeah, I feel you. Epic or no. <laughs> and and uh, this theme, it's interesting because I've never seen this movie, but I have most certainly heard this song many times, the theme oh, yeah. for Last of the Mohicans. Didn't know it until I watched this movie that it was Last of the Mohicans. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, but I couldn't believe the frequency at which they play the Last of the Mohicans theme. It's like every single time they need somebody to look heroic or something to look romantic and magical they go to this theme and i was like they must have played it 10 15 times by the end of this film no wonder no wonder everybody knows this theme right because you can't watch this movie without having it written forever into your mind it's the groundhog day of soundtracks absolutely Uh, but on the other hand i think it also is a mainstay in like historical period trailers for like the next 20 years. Okay. Yeah, that like makes you're sense. Gonna get, you're going to get that. You're going to get it in like football montages of people trying to get the extra few yards across the like it's really it's, they did that? Oh yeah. 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 You'd see mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of like stirring like places, uh placeholder music and trailers and things like that. Did you know the um, the, the storied history, I guess, of this uh musical production? That that they had <laughs> so I can't remember which one of the the names you mentioned, but they were hired to write an electronic score to this thing. If that makes any I damn sense tripped. in the so world, I saw, I, I saw I saw this as a avenue to go down, and I just rejected it as fundamentally uninteresting. But oh, but I find I, it I Trevor Jones. Yeah, Trevor Jones is the one originally hired, and then he bowed out late in the project because, like, I guess. Like Michael Mann was still cut. Like he filmed the the waterfall scene nine days before he showed it to an audience for the first time. Jesus Christ! And this thing was getting like you know this guy like worked up a score for the three hour version, and then they gave him the two, and he's like, "Fuck this!" So well, well, he did the electronic version and had it like basically done, and then late in production, uh, Michael Mann comes to him and says, "Now we need a score for this thing. We need a traditional orchestral score." And so he had to go back and re, re, uh, music everything. He well, he had to create why. the score from scratch again, and like he did as much as he could. He he blasted through the thing, and then he ran yeah. out of time. Uh, yeah. I guess within his own personal schedule, he had other projects or something. And so they brought in a guy to finish it up. And 
I think it's remarkable how well it works, but I, I think maybe I see why they use the theme over and over again because yeah. that's the music they had, and they were a like, "Well, we wrote two songs for this. <laughs> Let's use one of them a lot." Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is like I was watching this, and there's this point where Magua is essentially got this massive chip on his shoulder because he was uh, kidnapped by the Mohawk tribe and kind of like stripped of a lot of his. They they thought his tribe, the Hurons, thought he was dead. His wife got married to another man. Uh, like he lost a lot of his honor and prestige. And I, I get the feeling that a lot of this is him trying to win it back. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and he goes to this chief and he says, Oh, look at all this victory I've done. I've killed many gray hairs. And then Daniel Day Lewis comes in and is like, Nah, this guy is talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's actually a f- real fuck face of a Native American. He loves and- the French. And he loves the French and the ways of Yangi and their greed and all. And I'm thinking, and then the, the elder chief said something profound, which he says, since I have been a child, my tribe has pondered this one question. What is the Huron to do? And I'm thinking, like, that's really fucking profound. Like, if you're this Native American and like essentially time before out of mind, the the ways have been the ways. And then you have these guys come over on ships with horses and steel and guns. And they're like, they're like uh, the, the aliens from night uh, from uh, uh, Independence Day, mm-hmm. except for they don't go away when you infect them with the, in fact, they're infecting you with disease and shit. Uh, and like, what is the answer? Because it seems like Magua is saying, and, and, and there's this, this also, I read this review where they said that at this point, in like American history, the native Americans were actually richer and more powerful and way more numerous than the colonists. Like if they banded yeah. together as an entire nation, uh, like, like all the nations came together and said, not nah, fuck. We're going to kill these fuckers as fast. As they come on the shore. Uh, they probably could have event- essentially like staved off the, the invasion indefinitely, but that it would have enti- entailed them giving up their way of life. Cause Mach was saying like, mm-hmm. let's, fucking we can out trap these guys we can out fur these guys we can get we can get rich off gold and silver we can buy guns we can fight back and daniel day lewis is essentially saying yeah but then you're not even really a huron are you mm-hmm. and that's bullshit counsel like magua was 100 right when he's like this guy's talking out of a poison fork tongue this guy's talking our destruction this is going to lead to us but like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I thought that point was like I, I yeah. wish there was more to support it because holy shit, I really felt for that old Indian chief at that because he's like, what, what the hell do you do? Yeah, uh, become the enemy to keep from being defeated by the enemy. Right, and I think you know in in certain ideologies and in ones that I maybe you know if I lived with under those ideologies for a long time, I would probably agree with him. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about them as, you know, just some American dude, but the, the, sometimes they'd rather die than give up the things that make them them. And I think that's kind of a valid way to look at your life. Um, I, I, I don't know. There, I think there are certainly lines uh, on all sides of that equation and you need to, I guess, figure out where the blur is there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure which side I come down on, on that. Cause I think everybody's got a point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I haven't thought about it enough to have a firm opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And I, 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 like I said, I just thought it was one of those, 
interesting points where like I never pondered it from that point. Like, you know, yeah. I'd always considered the the fact that the the Europeans would roll up with the superior technology and just roll. But like the idea that there was a uh, a tipping point where they just didn't have like there's this the, it's it's way harder to bring dudes over from another continent than you have millions here of your own and you've already got enough because they have foolishly employed both sides uh, in their various petty wars against each other. You now have a sizable amount of, uh, of of weapons and you could probably manufacture your own and you can make your own gunpowder and like you could band together and 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 uh, push these invaders off or at least greatly slow their numbers maybe sue for better terms of peace maybe half of the north american continent would still be controlled by the first first nations mm-hmm. um had things gone a little bit and there's also some interesting stuff i guess because I, I i i'd read that previously in like the central and south american tote the like if you know like if they had like gotten their shit together when the spaniards first came they could have like pushed them off but the other some historical what ifs is like, you know, uh, so we gave the Native Americans uh, the Black Plague. They gave us syphilis. What if it was the other way around? What if we brought the syphilis and they had the Black Plague? Like in the the, the, the Americas were just like, man, you go there and half your people going to die hmm. if you're lucky. Like there's just a lot of historical what ifs about this thing. And I just thought that that scene with the war chief and how he ultimately decides to go with like, well, we're going to go down. We're going to go. We're going to go down swinging the way we always have rather than try to adopt the the naked greed and the disease of more that these these white men are obsessed with. Uh, I, it's, just, it's super poignant. It's like a scene from a better, more interesting film. Which I think still think this is a, you know, this is uh this film's got like a ninety four five percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and uh interestingly enough because you know I always check Roger Ebert he seemed like he was a little bit whelmed on his review too, like yeah it's a great film it's yeah it's it's, it's okay three stars sure you know I might have given it yeah two out of his four but okay. Ooh, it's 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 spicy. right in the middle. It's right down the middle. I I think I rated this on Letterboxd as a three. So, <laughs> so as, as average as I can get. Running Daniel Day Lewis with Tubble Tomahawk is going to be haunting your dreams tonight because he's coming <laughs> for you, Jim. He's coming for you. He wants that extra star. You know, he's probably like sixty years old at this point. I still couldn't take him. You think you could take him? No, man. I still what? What a wild, what a wild career because he was just an indie darling up until this, and he comes in here like a full-blown action convincing action star and then this is the same guy that plays uh what was the daniel plain weather plain fucker view uh, is it plain view is that it yeah, i know something almost borderline ironic from there will be blood and he's uh, abraham lincoln and lincoln those are very different roles and different sensibilities and physicalities and uh i guess that's why i mean gangs of new york <laughs> gangs of new york right it's uh, very different than that yeah uh but anyway glad i got to see this movie we for next week have a little bit of an interesting tie-in with a new club only feature that we've unveiled uh bald move off the clock which is where jim and i talk about tv shows that we're not doing full coverage on we're just kind of talking as friends and buddies about we're uh going through alex garland's new dev series that came out in the middle of westworld and we didn't have time for it uh, but we're going back and kind of doing a leisurely watch through that, and we really like it. And to yeah. uh, get more into um, shit, I just n- mentioned the guy's name, Alex Garland. Uh, he's the he's the guy who did Annihilation recently. He did Twenty Eight Days Later. He did The Beach. He did Dread. He did Sunshine. Some of my favorite films. 
he wrote all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he did write and direct Ex Machina, and I guess there's a lot of interesting uh, themes that tie into the dev stuff. So we are going to, because we're on a Alex Garland kick, we're going to watch uh, Ex Machina next week. Uh, so if you want to check that out uh, so you can keep up with the reviews along with us, please do so. And if you are a club member or are inclined to be one, check out our off-the-clock uh, coverage of his fantastic futurist AI fucking meaning of free will is is life e- even free will is a deterministic meditation uh, devs uh, on FX which you can check if you uh, I think that's uh, FX on Hulu too you can watch it on Hulu as well uh, that's it for this week I hope you've enjoyed our discussion around the last of the Mohicans and I hope you can join us for next week's uh, Ex Machina until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see you next week